Mobile friendly doesn't mean mobile first. And a mobile first design is what it says from the standpoint of our audience is experiencing the site mostly on mobile. What is it we need to do for them from that context? From Bright Umbrella, this is Control Clickcast. We inspect the web for you. Today, Emily and I are going to talk about retrofitting desktop only websites to be mobile friendly. I'm your host, Leah Alcantara, and I'm joined by my fab co-host, Emily Lewis. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Craft CMS, who would like to tell you about the brand new Craft 3 beta. Craft 3 has been rewritten from the ground up to be faster and easier to build sites with. It has exciting new features like multi-site support and a beautiful new image editor that you can use to crop rotate, and set focal points on your images right within Craft's control panel. To find out more and download the beta, go to craftcms.com slash three. Again, that's craftcms.com slash the number three. And we want to remind our listeners that we'll be in Chicago for How Design Live this May. We're giving a designer-friendly presentation on choosing the right content management system for projects. We discuss how the right CMS can save time and money, as well as how to evaluate a CMS. And of course, alternatives to WordPress. Visit HowDesignLive.com to register today. Well, everyone in our field understands the importance of having a mobile-friendly site. Not all clients do. And even if a business or a nonprofit does understand the value of mobile, that doesn't mean there's time or budget for a mobile rebuild or redesign. And I think that's probably why there are still mm-hmm. so many desktop sites out there. In fact, controlclickcast.com is one of those sites that's still <laughs> desktop only. You know, we simply haven't had the time or budget for a mobile update. And to be honest, we didn't have a pressing business need. Our podcast is on iTunes and Stitcher and RSS. The website isn't our only channel. And so we put it on the back burner because we could. Right. So, I mean, the reasoning is really no different than that of a business owner or a client who hasn't yet made the move towards mobile. But that doesn't mean the reasoning is smart, (laughs) at least for the long term. Right. I forget the report. We'll dig it up for our show notes. But mobile outpaced desktop last year, like officially. Mobile definitely traffic is far more than desktop now. Right, right. And I mean, that's kind of backed up by this Pew report that uh, we found where it says that there's 19% of Americans actually depend on their smartphone as Mm. their only point, their primary point for online access. Now, 19%, maybe that number sounds low or not. Okay. Oh, 19%. But when you actually use that percentage against the total population of America, that's 57 million people. 57 million people use their phone primarily to use the internet. Not just the people who are using smartphones for their primary point of online access, but people are getting 
having expectations for yeah. mobile. Their mobile right. experience, it needs to feel easy to use and easy to read, whether they're on a small – I mean, I was at my sister's house in Maryland, and she's got like the tiny iPhone. It's small. <laughs> like my Android doubles the size, but right. it needs to be comfortable for her to use on her small phone as well as on a tablet and on the desktop site. And in fact, we dug around for more current statistics, and it looks like the most recent kind of full-scale report was done in 2014. And so I can only imagine that these numbers have increased. But 61% of site visitors will leave a site if it has a poor mobile experience. And like I said, I can only imagine that that's higher today now that users have higher expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And the more people access the internet or your website through their phones, the more that becomes urgent Mm -hmm. for everyone involved. And, you know, of course, mobile, I mentioned it has to work good on the phone. It has to look good on the phone. It also has to be fast. Yes. Um, Speed and performance is a huge component of mobile friendliness. Uh, Google released a report at the end of last year, 2016. And if your page takes longer than three seconds, three seconds, 53% of visitors will leave. Wow. That's more than half of Mm -hmm. all visits. And when you stop and think about it, I, that's me. I'm one of those 52%. Yeah. Oh, I'm the same way. I get so frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. And this was even more obvious when um, I traveled recently. And mm. so I used the free airplane Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, <laughs> it was so painful just to visit a regular text-based site like Twitter, for example. Mm -hmm. Like it was still so painful to load to the point where, okay, I'm just actually not going to access the web period. I'm just going to listen to music now, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm because it was was actually that frustrating. I didn't want to wait more than three seconds for something to load, even Mm -hmm. if it was just text or just for pure pleasure. Mm -hmm. And three seconds sounds short, but it doesn't feel short. Yeah. Yeah, And, you know, Google is really behind mobile. They have been for a number of years, and they only continue to double down in their support of creating a web that is easy to use for everyone, including those people on a mobile device. Right. And in support of this, this overall worldview is they're continuing to update their algorithms so that mobile friendliness is a bigger signal in your search engine ranking than previous. And in fact, I Mm -hmm. believe there's one expected, a new rollout to the algorithm this March, I believe. The last one was last April. And so you're avoiding Google penalties by making sure that your site works great on a mobile phone and potentially improving your SEO ranking. Yeah, absolutely. So the benefits just, I feel like, speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. You want people to visit your site, stay on your site, and interact with your site, whether that's a purchase or contacting you, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure that your site is mobile friendly. Or even, you know, we talk a lot about interaction because that's what, you know, the web is best known for. But even just getting to information, if someone has reached your site and you are top listed on Google for a particular area of information, and it takes me six seconds to get to that info... I'm not even trying to do anything except read and you've made it hard. I am going to leave. It's not just about executing something. People are also seeking information. And if you've 
have issues with that and people can't even read on your site, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mentioned earlier, like at the beginning of the show, there are understandable reasons to delay mm-hmm. mobile. Mm-hmm. Totally. But as we mentioned, the cons are kind of starting to outweigh the pros if you just remain desktop only. Mm-hmm. But also based on the understandable reasons, there's budgets involved here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, clients often ask us or wonder like, well, how do you balance a limited budget and limited resources with the very real business need to have a mobile-friendly site. Mm-hmm. Well, what we've been doing is retrofits. Mm-hmm. That's what we're calling them. And I think just a search on the web, you'll see a lot of different articles talking about retrofits. We offer a couple different types of what we call retrofits. But the most fundamental, I think, definition of a retrofit comes from our friend Ben Callahan who did a piece for um, me when I was at Web Standard Sherpa a few years ago. And I think it really describes retrofits well. And it's about using responsive techniques, so responsive web design techniques, on legacy websites to create a better mobile experience. They're like small steps toward Mm -hmm. a more universal experience. And I like that because it sort of is global enough to apply to even all the different types of retrofits we have, you know, some that have more involvement than others. But I think to get even more specific, it's typically just CSS. You may modify the HTML, but usually not. And you're not rewriting the CSS, but overwriting CSS. So the most basic retrofit is going to be just brand new CSS that overwrites what was on the existing legacy site. Right. But you bringing up the minor modifications to HTML and, you know, typically CSS, and that makes everything sound hunky-dory. Oh, it's so straightforward. But right, it's not always. <laughs> it's not always that straightforward. And the point I want to make is that responsive retrofits aren't really for every site. Yeah, I, or every client. Because ultimately, if the client has a limited budget, but a really huge business need, then they really need to rethink their budget. Because if the majority of their audience is on mobile, and they just want to fix a few little things with CSS, that doesn't actually seem to make business sense. We would push back on that. We wouldn't take that project just to take it. We would want to have a long-term discussion with them about their goals. Because the reality is is if you have a big mobile audience and you don't have a site that meets their needs, a few CSS fixes aren't going to cut the mustard really. Mobile-friendly doesn't mean mobile first. And a mobile-first design is really from the – what it says from the standpoint of our audience is experiencing the site mostly on mobile. What is it we need to do for them from that context? Right. So if you take a retrofit approach to a legacy site, the truth is, is that that legacy desktop site was not designed with mobile in mind. And so there may be long form content that you simply cannot scale well in mobile. It becomes hard to read or cumbersome. Things like images. If you have like fixed width CSS background images for presentation purposes, that's going to be a problem. If you have a lot of fixed width tables on your site, we worked with a utility company and they had a lot of tables that showed different pricing and different price points. And 
you know, that's not something that is a quick fix for CSS. Mm-hmm. In fact, you often have to put in a, um, like a, a JavaScript like a shiv or something like that right, to right. get that to work. And I just want to also point out like design-wise when you're thinking about tables, right? If you're just looking as in, oh, I'll retrofit this so I can shrink the table. What if that original table was 10 columns long? Right. And okay, so technically you made it, quote, mobile friendly because you shrunk it, but then you can't actually read the data. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, as we mentioned before, adding CSS to overwrite CSS that's not going to improve performance. No. I mean, in <laughs> fact, you're adding an asset. So you may right. actually see a performance, not a big hit, but it it's not going to improve it. And so if your site is already slow, no matter what you do to make it easy for users to use on their phone, if it's slow, that's still going to ding you. Right. Absolutely. And like we kind of mentioned at the beginning, so the basics of retrofits are tweaking the CSS mostly and minor modifications to HTML. But if we're looking at a legacy site and the source markup, the actual HTML is really convoluted. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned, tables is one of those issues. And if they're using tables not for tabular data as well, that makes things things a lot more complicated. So you need to take that into account. If that's a bit of a mess, a mobile retrofit might not be the actual, the cost effective way to Mm -hmm. deal with it because it would be too time consuming to make it work. Mm -hmm. The other thing too is CMS considerations, right? Not all people's legacy systems are on modern CMSs that output clean code. Mm -hmm. So that means, again, the retrofit could be complicated by the CMS generating markup that isn't necessary and we wouldn't even understand or consider adding to the CSS to manipulate at all. So that's something to to definitely consider as well. Yeah. And then, of course, like I said, you're overwriting CSS. Mm-hmm. But what if they've got a bunch of inline styles? And oh, yeah. our listeners may hear that and they may say, oh, no, yes, I'm telling you, it's still out there. Yep, yep. You can't overwrite that with you know a linked style sheet. So if there's a lot of that, it, again, you're really going to have to rewrite that. You can't overwrite right. it. And that then again adds time and scope to the effort and then it starts being less of a budget-friendly option. Right. So far, we're kind of talking about the technical aspect of all this and the realities as a developer. But when you stop and think about it, and you're really trying to consider mobile retrofitting, the most important thing is considering the audience Mm -hmm. and the site content, Mm -hmm. and whether the retrofit actually addresses the audience goals, and whether the site content through that retrofit still fits those audience goals. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't, for example, you know, just simply shrinking something or increasing a font size still doesn't actually prioritize the information that the audience is looking for. Mm-hmm. Well, then the retrofit doesn't actually help, mm-hmm. you know, the goals of the site. Yeah, it is a a completely holistic consideration. Right. Even though what we're doing, uh, you know, with a retrofit, the most basic retrofit is putting some CSS into the mix the approach and and whether we even can or should do it is holistic. It's a discussion that has to happen either during discovery or before that, if you're lucky during the sales process. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, at the end of the day, a mobile retrofit, a responsive retrofit is 
a temporary stopgap, mm-hmm. right? Because what we're doing is kind of fitting a round peg into a square hole totally. kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can fit it in and it works for now, but it shouldn't be used as the client's mobile solution for a long term. It's mm-hmm. definitely good to address current issues as an emergency situation because yes, this is the, the reality is more and more people are using their phones or their tablets to visit the web. And if your site doesn't address that, yes, you should deal with it ASAP. And Mm -hmm. a responsive retrofit is that ASAP solution. But to keep it that way is not a good long-term process. So let's talk a little bit about what we at Bright Umbrella offer our clients. And These are not like sales packages or anything. They're just sort of internal terms that Leah and I use to sort of describe the different levels we might, how far we might take a a retrofit approach. Whatever you might call it, I don't think it really matters because even still, we don't even use these terms when we're talking to the client. You know, like we talked in our last episode, we talk about we're going to make it easier for text to be read. We're going to make sure that no one has to zoom in to view. We don't right. use tech terms to describe it to the client. We talk about what we're going to accomplish. So we have what we've sort of broken out into like uh, three types of mobile projects that we have offered clients depending on where they are with their goals and budget and um, staff resources on their end. Right. So the one that we're definitely talking about right now is the responsive retrofit Mm -hmm. where we review the current desktop only design and make sure that it works for mobile devices. So Mm -hmm. we look at the source code. We really try not to change any of that. Most of the time, the HTML stays the same and all the work is in the CSS. However, sometimes there is some consideration between the content and the design as well. Because when you are even discussing a mobile retrofit or mobile friendly design with your client, you're trying to discuss why we're even doing it, like why this is important, Mm -hmm. and impressing upon them that it's not just about making things fit in a smaller scale. It's discussing what should be shown on mobile and why people visit your site on mobile. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk a bit more about that, you know, later on the show when we talk about a case study of ours. Yeah. So those high level things that discuss initially. So like Leah said, the content, what's what the priority needs to be, the source code. And I'll just say, if you can't see the original source code, not what you view source in the browser, not what you view in your inspector, but the actual, especially if it's on a CMS template, do not take the project. Like you need to see that source code. The client needs to let you see that. There there has to be some point of reference. You need to know how they built their CSS. Like if they're using a compiler like SAS or something like that, you know, and who's going to maintain it. And so there's sort of like housekeeping questions you have to address. But once we've done those things, then we're really just keeping the same look and feel. There's no design changes. We're not changing text colors or, or things like that. We'll make sure that the navigation scales from desktop to tablet to phone. We make sure the layouts scale themselves as well. There's no zooming in to view different parts of the page. We make sure that the tap targets, like links, are larger, easier to to hit with your finger, that the font sizes work well for readability in the smaller views. 
And we typically don't go into lots of different breakpoints. And I know breakpoints is really a misnomer, but I'm just going to use it for point of conveying the idea. I'm not optimizing for tablets and portrait view and horizontal view and all that other stuff. So I usually have our desktop view and then I take it down to a one column. And that one column is what hits typically below 900 pixels or something like that. So usually just one breakpoint. And it's relatively straightforward in terms of those are our main points that we're hitting. And like Leia said, if we had a conversation with a client about what content should be shown on mobile, like if we have an opportunity to hide some content or move some content more prominently to the top. And when I say move, I'm not talking about changing the HTML. I'm probably talking about using positioning, CSS positioning to get something, you know, higher in the page view if possible. Again, this is all if possible, if you've looked at their source code and these sorts of things are possible. So we may also move some content to like the top of the page if it's more important or not. Right. And uh, the second type of a mobile-friendly, second kind of mobile-friendly project would be a mobile-friendly revamp. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot like the retrofit, but this time we're actually reconfiguring the content now Mm -hmm. with mobile first in mind. We're now discussing what's really needed, what isn't. Now we're looking across a lot more breakpoints and testing multiple devices. And we do a lot more HTML cleanup. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, a little bit more involved, taking it just one step further from just the responsive retrofit. Yeah. I'd say it's like two or three steps further. Sure. I almost feel like it isn't like one notch, but really two, because there's a lot more involved. But it really is like, I don't think there's like one notch above the retrofit, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> right, kind of, right, you right. know, you almost have to kind of go two levels up. And we're going to talk about another case study. So we're going to talk about a case study of the retrofit, the base base one, and then we'll do a case study of this responsive revamp that you're talking about. Right. But we also do a couple other options uh, for clients for mobile too. And then there are some clients that have further mobile needs, and they need more than just a retrofit or a revamp. But they still have a little bit more of a budget, but it's not a giant redesign at Mm -hmm. this point, right? So at that point, it's less of a retrofit, and it's more of a limited redesign, and Mm. we're dealing with prioritizing their site in a bit of a piecemeal you mm-hmm. know, approach. So at this point, we are dealing with new looks and feels, mm-hmm. but the mobile layouts are only optimized for the limited audiences. And by limited audiences, what we do is for every client, we are taking a look at their analytics if available. And if we're dealing with a budget-sensitive client, we did this with a, a law firm a couple years ago, And mobile was important, but they didn't have the audience to support it. They just knew it was something they wanted to start thinking about. And so looking at their analytics and where audiences were, we didn't need to focus so much on tablets as much as phones and desktops. And so we focused uh, the redesign efforts on those two main viewports. That doesn't mean it doesn't look good in a tablet. It's just not optimized for tablets where, 
if you're a front end designer, you know what I'm talking about. You can sometimes be like, oh, this would look great. Tablet isn't just larger version of the phone. Like we might be able to split it into two columns and something might work out well here. It's sort of one of those breakpoints that you could just keep it the phone look or it could get a little more optimized for that tablet experience. But if tablets aren't a large audience at that point, we didn't spend the time. We didn't do comps. We didn't do wireframes, which saves some time and money on the budget. And the good thing is the client now has the budget for it. And so this year we're focusing on filling in that that middle space just a little bit. Right. And I think I want to emphasize the fact that we're looking into the business case for this, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know as web designers and developers, we always want the ideal situation of, yes, of course, it'd be ideal if we were able to test every device and every screen and every breakpoint. And then you have to think about your own time management at Mm -hmm. that point, Mm -hmm. because there's ideal and then there's realistic. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you have to make a business case as to why it makes sense to put in all that time to do tablet work. And if it just the audience isn't there yet, it just doesn't make any business sense, both as the agency doing the work, as well as the client asking for the work. Mm-hmm. And it still gives them what they're looking for. Yes, We went into this particular project with this in mind. And so we built it with the intention of coming back to it. So it's not going to be a retrofit when we come back to it to fix tablets. We will be working, we will go right into the original CSS. The HTML won't need to be modified. You know, it's, it was built from the ground up with this in mind. Right. And so the client still gets, the return on their investment, as well as knowledge of ongoing maintenance of the site for ongoing improvements. And so it's actually a really nice approach if it fits with your client's audience analytics. Yeah, absolutely. And we're talking about a whole site here and limiting different views, but this piecemeal concept can also be applied inside Mm -hmm, a site. mm -hmm. Yeah, so we have another client who interesting situation. Their website was redesigned four or five years ago, and it was designed with responsive. In fact, I think the developer used Bootstrap. So it was mobile, but it's been a few years. And what was mobile a few years back is no longer best practices. You know, frankly, the mobile experience wasn't optimized completely by that developer. And so we've inherited the site and we've been Every year they have a launch, and so with each launch, we iteratively redesign a section. Right. So, for example, they have a job section where they list jobs that are available. And uh, two years ago, I think it was, Leah, we redesigned the job section, and that redesign was a bit of a look and feel. It was a bit of a, um, a content exercise, but it was also mobile first. Yeah. So everything we did for just those pages on the site, we did with a mobile first design approach as well as a front end development approach. And right. it's just those pages. And then they also wanted some changes to their navigation, which it's been so long, I don't even remember what the original navigation looked like and what the challenge was. Because they just had the text and then they just shrunk it. Yeah, I think it just got small. Yeah, yeah, it just got small. And then there were the second level of their hover, like when you click and hover the navigation was just all horizontal. Mm. Again, because it was just shrinking because all they were doing was shrinking what was already on desktop. 
Right. So we took that as a sort of piecemeal focus and just updated just the navigation, the primary navigation to be mobile first. Yeah. And so these were ways for the client to put the money they had available in areas where they knew it would have the most impact. Like I was describing the job section, that was before a major recruiting push to find new employees. The navigation is something that obviously affects all users of the site. So it's a way for them to keep the budget focused, but still keep the site moving in the direction they want it to be. Right. Absolutely. And then, of course, the last type of mobile project we offer is a full-scale redesign. And that's just everything. Yeah, exactly. That's when a client is ready, when they have all the resources, both financially and staff and content. And content. Yes. (laughs) And it means they're ready to make mobile their first priority. And then we're actually now reviewing the purpose of the site, the audience and the content. And it's going to be new look and feel. And it's going to be a mobile first kind of concept. Right. And so that one, you know, we started with the retrofit moving up into different levels of complexity. The retrofit is probably the most budget friendly I say probably because what we just described with the piecemeal approach, that might actually, in the long term, it isn't. But for an individual element, it may be less expensive than retrofitting the entire site. But the full redesign is probably going to be the most resource and cost intensive project. Right. But there's always an asterisk on that because, and I think we'll talk a little bit about that later in this episode, in that maybe it actually would be more cost effective overall in the long run to just deal with the full redesign as opposed to adding up all the little retrofits or all the little piecemeals over the years when you add all that up. Well, if you just invested the total up front, then you might have a superior site right now, right? But so there's, it all really It depends. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Always depends. I think one of the things that Leia and I have learned, and and we really value long-term client relationships. We like working with the same people and knowing a site inside and out. You know, these are the compromises of working with clients who have their own realities. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now that we sort of laid a foundation for how we how and why we approach mobile projects these different ways, we wanted to talk about two of these options from a case study perspective. We're going to talk about the basic retrofits as well as the sort of next level up or two steps forward, uh, the responsive revamp. So we'll start with the basic retrofit with our client Strathcona High School. Right. So Strathcona High School, they've been our client since 2009. Mm. So they've been with us for a long time. And they were desktop styling only for all those years that they've had a website until 2014. That's when they pinged us to help make their site mobile friendly. Mm -hmm. Now, the issue was, of course, with a lot of schools, budget, right? Mm -hmm. And they also still really liked the look and feel that I designed for them back back in the day, because apparently it was the best design in the school district. And so they wanted to keep all of those elements around, but just make it more mobile friendly. Mm-hmm. So all these discussions really start with the question, why are people accessing 
your site on a phone, mm-hmm. right? So we asked Strathcona that first and foremost. And when they thought about it, they decided, well, when people are visiting strathconaschool.ca on their phone, they're looking to visit the school. Mm-hmm. That's the point of why they even open up Safari, right? And why are they looking to visit the school? They're looking for times and events, and they're looking for the address, or they're looking to call or contact the school, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So when we were reviewing all of this, we realized that this couldn't just be a simple, like, let's just shrink everything and change the CSS, et cetera. We reviewed the content and we decided, especially because after we reviewed the HTML that it was possible, mm-hmm. that we could move something that was normally in the footer in desktop, which is the phone number and the address, to the top on mobile, the mobile version of Strathcona's website, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And the other thing is, if the priority of parents looking to visit the school website is to visit the school to, for times and events, we also took away the pretty slideshow that was on desktop because that could be distracting. And then we went straight to the list of events and news. Mm-hmm. So those are the types of considerations that we we had. Like when we go into a retrofit or any sort of mobile-friendly project, we first try to figure out like what is the point? Mm-hmm. Like why would anyone visit your site on mobile? Will they visit their, your site on mobile? Mm-hmm. And then after we retrofitted the site, there was a 26% increase in visitors after mm-hmm. the launch. So, I mean, clearly it was one of those, like, if you build it, they will come situations. And, you know, it well, was I good. Bet you, I bet you they were there waiting. Do you know what right. I mean? It was probably more like that because we've still heard consistently from our contact at that client that parents and kids are still just love that the site's mobile friendly, love that it's easy for them to use. It's right. still a standout design amongst right. other schools in the district. So, yeah, yeah I think... It was a community and audience that was just waiting for this to be there for them. And now that it is, they're really happy about it. Right. And I spoke a little bit about our design and content situation, but a lot of retrofits, as we mentioned, is mostly CSS changes and HTML changes. So Emily, why don't you tell our listeners how you approached Strathcona? Yeah, and I think this list is one that I would follow for any basic retrofit and Essentially, it kind of hits all the notes of Google's mobile-friendly test. All the things that it tests for, these are the things that you can fix. So for me, with Strathcona and any basic retrofit, I'm going to start with the viewport meta tag. You need to set that for device and user scaling. Never take away the user's ability to zoom. Back in the day, I did that, and it's bad form. Even if you don't want them to zoom, why would you decide that for them? What if they need to? Even if you've set your font sizes to work great and the layout scales, keep your user scaling. You then need to establish how you're going to do the CSS. So with the case of Strathcona, because it was an existing client, we had all their assets, we are the only people who touched the CSS, so we knew we weren't going to have issues with overriding someone else's development. We were able to create our own CSS file independent from the original with media queries We could have added it into the original, but at the time when I did this, I was sort of following the logic of 
just calling this style sheet for a given media query. Mm-hmm. So rather than having media queries in the CSS selectors, it's how they're, it's called. You could also, though, there's no reason why you couldn't add new CSS with media queries to the bottom of existing CSS as long as there's no concern about overriding by someone else. And it also does depend on if stuff is compiled, like if people have lots of um, SAS partials, maybe you put the stuff in a partial and it gets compiled into the new one. So it really depends on your workflow. And the next thing that I focus on is adjusting the layout to fit the viewport. For me, like I said, uh, and this is the case with Strathcona and pretty much any basic retrofit, I'm going to just take it all down to one column. That's the easiest for me to do the most efficiently. And that's making sure that there's no fixed width elements on the page that you have to overwrite. You have to make sure that the HTML source order is going to allow you to do this and keep content in context. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have desktop, a two column layout, and maybe your right side column is like a sidebar for a contact form, let's just say in mobile, that contact form is really important. Most everyone fills out the contact form from the mobile phone. Well, then we want that to be at the top of the page when the person views it. But what if in the source order, it's actually below all the rest of the HTML? So if you can use positioning effectively, then you can potentially still do that. But if you've got some complicated table-based layout, this may not actually be possible. So these are the things why you have to look at your source order carefully. So overriding fixed width content, also the what Leah was describing earlier with Strathcona, where we can adjust the content to work better for the mobile audience, typically using positioning, doing that. So that's after I get the layout working, then I'll go back and see if I can move content to meet mobile priorities. There's also the issue of if this is a site designed for desktop first, desktop only, then you may have large chunks of content that takes up a tremendous amount of vertical space on a phone or a tablet. And so I mentioned Ben Callahan's article at the start of this episode, but in that same article, he talks about vertical conservation. So using things like collapsing or show hiding to compress information so that the user can choose to expand it if they want to have more. So you have less stuff taking up the vertical space. Mm -hmm. I don't typically do this, but it is an option. And I think it's an important one, you know, with Strathcona, they just didn't have those situations of just huge chunks of content that just forever and ever and ever. And there was no break. If you go this way, if you're doing show hide, you may end up having to introduce JavaScript into the scope. And so that's a, do you want to? Is that in the budget? Is there time? That also adds another request to the page. So these are all considerations. The next space, once I've got the layout and the content as I want, I'm going to just focus on links and tap areas. I'm just going to make sure that the touch targets are sufficient for fingers. That also is not just the size of the target, but the size between side-by-side targets. So like in um, navigation in a footer, people often have like links all next to each other with maybe five pixels between. Is that five pixels enough in a mobile device? Should there be more space between them so you don't accidentally click the link next to the one you wanted to click? 
And then the last two things are really about readability. Good font sizes. Just because you've gone small doesn't mean your font size goes small. So on a mobile device, you actually might want a larger font size than you have on desktop. You're going to have to experiment with that. I'll put a link. I think I've got a link for some good rules of thumb on font size scaling that I'll include in the show notes. And then also good color contrast. Mobile devices may be used indoors, outdoors, you know, all different situations. And so you want to make sure your color contrasts are good. That one, I do definitely have a link from Leia Veru, and we will include that in the show notes on good color contrast rules to follow. And that's pretty much it. Those are sort of my main points. You have to, if you're a front-end developer like me, you have to really work to hold yourself back. You know, don't Mm -hmm. go too far. You know, you know, you're like, oh, I could just fix that. Well, that little five minutes you went to fix that, if you multiply that by 10, then you've now used an hour from the budget. So you really have to hold yourself back. Even if you're seeing things that you did five years ago that you'd like to make better, that's not what this project is for. So, and then the last part about all of this, once the front end is done, is test We test across browsers and devices, even if like in the situation like we described with the law firm where we didn't focus so much on the tablet view, I still tested it in tablets. I wanted to make sure nothing was wrong. Yeah, broken. Exactly. That wouldn't have fulfilled the goal of the project. But you just kind of limit it or scale it accordingly. We'll also run it through Google's mobile-friendly test. That's a really useful tool also for the client. Like if you run their site through the test at the beginning and you show them all the errors and then you run it through at the end after you've made your changes and you can actually show them a comparison point. We also run through PageSpeed Insights. This is another Google tool that really checks the performance and speed of your page. Like I said earlier, a retrofit is not going to improve performance. I just don't see how it could really. But this is a good talking point for having a conversation with your client about what Leah mentioned. This retrofit is a stopgap. It is temporary. So we want to make sure our clients understand that, you know, we are doing this now and this will suit their needs in the short term, but that there still remain very real issues that they need to address. And performance is an easy one to demonstrate. So that's a good reason to run that test as well. Yeah. And it also kind of shows you the difference between desktop and mobile as well, because PageSpeed Insights gives you numbers based on this is Mm -hmm. what's happening while it's desktop. Okay, everything's great there, but what's happening in mobile, right? Mm -hmm. Like here are, here's why it's different. And here's why we need to focus on these particular issues when we're trying to make something mobile friendly. So that's like another talking point when you're dealing with a client. Or if you're dealing with a client who doesn't have the They want to just go that one step up of mobile revamp instead of just the very bare bones retrofit. The PageSpeed Insights will give you some information about images, for example. Mm -hmm. And those things could be addressed if you're going a little bit more beyond than just the very basic uh, retrofit Mm -hmm. and still be within a reasonable budget. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, just a good business lesson that you and I have learned the past 18 months, two years, that it's not just about the client trusting us. We need to give our clients, specifically our client contacts, they aren't usually the topmost person at the firm or the company. They have to take 
what we've given them and get budget approval and get approval right. internally. And if we can not only tell them, you know, oh, we're going to make the site look great on a phone, but give them actual like statistics from some right. report and say, well, we can resolve these 10 things with this project. Right. That's a real thing that they can take to their boss and then we can use as proof after the project's been done so that they feel that even more that they got what they paid for. So there's it's more than just delivering the site improvements. It's how you talk to them about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like the before and after thing mm -hmm. is really powerful in helping build trust with the client. It's one of those things where it's information we know ourselves as professionals. But again, we have to remember that our clients don't have our knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if, when we understand that clickable elements shouldn't be close together, they don't get that. But if there's a page from Google's mobile-friendly test that gives you a red X mm -hmm. <laughs> that tells them clickable elements shouldn't be close together, that just gives extra proof mm -hmm. that you know what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And it's integral to the sales process. Absolutely. You want to know the quickest way to try and start a conversation with someone about updating their site is show them the errors that their site gets. <laughs> It's you true. know, we're using that in one of our newsletters, you know, communicating that this test is out there and our clients can see and then let us know if we can help you if something's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's very important to remember that you have to put it in terms that the client's going to understand. Absolutely. absolutely. Or measure and or yeah. measure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the other case study we want to talk about is this current site, Control Click. <laughs> so... I really am a little embarrassed about it. <laughs> and which we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the show. You know, we've been talking about updating the site for mobile for over a year, Emily and yeah. I. And this year, this is the year. Yeah. We're committed to getting it done by quarter three. Now, this kind of leads me to audience question. Ben Furphy asked, is there a point at which it's just easier to start again rather than trying to retrofit a non-responsive site? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Yes. <laughs> and that's where we're at with control click. At some point, for example, when we first built this site, Emily and I have been podcasting for about six years. Mm. This June will be six years. So that means our site is about that old. Yeah. We did go through a little bit of a rebrand because when we first started podcasting six years ago, it was as EE Podcast. Then we kind of did a bit of a revamp at, as Control Clickcast, but we didn't do a full rewrite of our site mm -mm. at that point. So the HTML and CSS more or less is six years old. Yeah. And what that means... <laughs> is that there's six years worth of new technology, new techniques, and issues that we've ignored mm -hmm. for six years. Mm -hmm. And if we want to be future-friendly, mobile-friendly, and give the best sort of experience to our site visitors, especially since those visitors are our peers mm -hmm. on the web – it makes a lot more sense for us to start from scratch. Yeah. It's the simple reality that 
Well, I can't speak to where you feel your design has grown. I mean, I feel right. your design has grown, but you can speak to that. But my front end is so different. Right. Like to try and retrofit how I used to write with our new approach, which uses sort of our own internal framework right. in terms of naming conventions and HTML patterns and things like that. Right. It would be the one project, because it's ours, <laughs> where I wouldn't be able to hold myself back. Right. You know, we also have the business reason as much as we want people to listen to the podcast as their main reason for visiting the site. But I want us to demonstrate that not only are we talking about the best in the web, but we can demonstrate the best in the web. So right. that if you are looking at our site, it's an example of the best we can do. And retrofitting just doesn't fall into that for me. No, no. And at this point, since we've delayed it so much as well, mm -hmm. it just makes sense to, in terms of our own time management, to spend that time towards something new. And we feel that that's going to give us the most bang for our buck. And usually, if we're going to be approaching this with a client ourselves, it really is deciding whether this is the time that this upfront initial more expensive investment both in time and money mm -hmm. is worth it for a long-term prospect because mm -hmm. again as we mentioned yes it's a lot more cost effective to just do a retrofit but it's a stop gap and if mm -hmm. we're continually doing piecemeal items when you add up all the costs over the years it might actually be a lot larger than a full-blown mm -hmm. redesign well and, and you and i can't we can't give that kind of ongoing focus to the site. That's right. also our reality. So we do need it to yes. be updated in a much bigger versus piecemeal way. Yeah. Because we can't continue to spend time every year on it. Yeah, absolutely. And also the bottom line, just like with our clients, we checked our mobile activity on mm -hmm. the site. So, you know, I looked at Google Analytics and I'm comparing this past year from February 2016 to February 2017 to one of the first years of the podcast, which is like 2012 to 2013. There was a 94%, 94% increase in mobile activity. Wow. Wow. Yeah, 94%. And desktop is still strong, but it's dropped 6%. Mm. So it's mm -hmm. not a huge dramatic drop as the 94% increase. So there's still a lot of people still checking out our site on desktop. Mm -hmm. But since it was a drop of 6%, I believe that trend's just going to continue. Right? So before we talk about, you know, the revamp, why we should probably say why we aren't doing a full-scale redesign. Right. So the other thing, too, is, again, thinking about business priorities, we just cannot afford the time mm -hmm. to invest in a full-scale revamp. The other thing, too, is this is our, you know, this is our own project. So mm -hmm. we know we don't need to do the full-on discovery as much. And mm -hmm. we also know our audience as well. So our primary focus is making sure that the content is the focus mm -hmm. and that we have easier navigation. The other thing is review. speaking of that content, we're really trying to figure out whether the content is necessary in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And then really, we just want to make it easier for everyone who's listening to consume the show and subscribe to the show or review our archives, all those fun things. Mm -hmm. And I think the other part of it is as much as we know needs to change in terms of the CSS and even right. the HTML, and content, 
there's a lot that doesn't need to be changed, that right. doesn't need to be redesigned. You know, right. the the branding aspect of right. it, the look and feel, you know, those are things that I'm still extremely satisfied with and right. that isn't something that needs to be looked at from a complete redesign perspective. Yeah, it's not a blank slate. We're not working right. with a blank slate here. Yeah. So our process for this is kind of like what we do with all our clients, but a little just just more compressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we still do a content audit because as I mentioned, our primary focus is to make sure that the content is easier to digest, that people are able to find it as well. So we did and are still in the middle of doing a full content audit and prioritization, figuring out what we need, what we don't need. And that's regardless of what device is being used. It's just what are people trying to consume Mm -hmm. on this site? We made a lot of assumptions when we, you know, started podcasting about what we right. wanted on the site and six years later, we're like, eh, we don't need that anymore. Yeah. We absolutely. just don't yeah. need it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what exactly is necessary for our listening audience and in particular our mobile listening audience? Because what's the most common time that you're listening to a podcast? Probably on your phone, <laughs> you know? So we're trying to figure out How do we help accommodate that? Um, The other thing, too, is because this is our own project, we don't need to go towards formal wireframes as well. So we do have sketches. So we understand where things are placed, but we're not being fussy over precise wireframing and deliverables, especially because it's just between Emily and I. And then after we do the sketches, then we're going to go straight into mobile first compositions. So those are the static comps that I'll be designing that uh, matches our content priorities and our sketches. And can you just take like a little moment to sidebar about what a mobile first comp means to you? Well, a mobile first comp to me, really, I always think, why are people visiting our site on their phone, right? And it's prioritizing that content first to show to them first. So in some ways, like mobile first to me is a little bit like a content first situation Mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, what's on this site? Why are people visiting? What is the first thing they want to see, Mm -hmm. right? So when I'm thinking about uh, my mobile first concept, I'm almost always thinking about the composition, like the layout and prioritization first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing that stands out for me as an observer of your process is, you know, not just the content, but also the actions. So when we were going through the sketching you know, mobile is a, I believe, I'd have to find the report where I read this, but um, sharing is more prominent yes. on mobile than it is on desktop. And so making sure that, you know, people seeing where they can share an episode or where they could follow us on social media, those are big channels for us. That's a right. big deal. So those also need to be prominent for us because we know they're coming to listen, but we also want them to follow us. Um, and on- easily share the episode. And donate. That was yeah. another thing. We right. <laughs> haven't made that prominent, which is kind of ridiculous, right. but we need to make donate prominent. We want to make people aware that that's an option so that they right. can do it. So 
It's also what we wanted. So we think thought about what the audience wants when they come to the site from a mobile phone, but right. what do we also want them to do? Right, absolutely. And that's the same with clients, right? Sometimes I feel like when you're having these types of discussions with clients, some designers might favor only the audience or only the client mm-hmm. when you really have to balance both priorities in terms of actions and content and prominence yeah. when you're designing. So once Leigh and I have the comps in a good place that we feel we know the direction, then we head into the front end. Yeah. And actually, fun fact, when Emily was first experimenting with retrofitting, she actually used controlclickcast.com as her guinea pig and she wrote about it. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about that and if your approach has changed over the years? Well, well, my approach has definitely changed. So I had to dig up some articles I wrote for um, Microsoft Script Junkie a couple years back. I've got a piece from 2011 and a piece from 2012. And essentially, I'm talking about, you know, writing CSS3 media queries. And I applied it to control click cast. But before I was getting into the media queries, it was coming to grips with the concept of a fluid layout or a liquid layout, Mm -hmm. which this was when you would use percentages for, let's say, your column width. So your large column is 70% and your right column is 30%. Right. And if you resize your window, those scale down. And so in my first journey of responsive web design, that's what it was to me, that I just needed the things to scale down. It didn't right. go to the level of like, is it readable? Does someone have to zoom? And so these articles really focused on trying to get a grasp of fluid layouts and calculating proportional widths, which if you got Ethan Marcotte's book, the first one that came out on responsive web design, that was a big part of it, figuring out the math of creating these fluid layouts that you could then apply to different media queries, different viewports. And honestly, I don't know why I thought that was responsive mm-hmm. web design, but at the time, that's, that's kind of what I thought it was. And I thought I took it a little further beyond the fluid layout to also um, images that scaled. Right. But beyond that, it wasn't going more into the user experience. Right. And so it was one of those things that I experimented with and I didn't like what I ended up with. Like I had layouts that scaled, but it still wasn't readable. It was like a layout retrofit. And it, it proved that you can't do that and have it be enough. So, I mean, that's a big lesson because what it sounds like is you just made something fixed and made it non-fixed. Right. But that doesn't mean that's responsive. Right. Yeah. So it's a bit of a blast from the past in these articles, but I think it speaks a lot. This They paid me for this article. This was considered modern at the right. time. Yes, yeah. So, in 2012. Yes, it you was. You know, it, it's not that – I just view it a lot more broader, the re- responsive – website is so much more than layout. And in the beginning, to me, it really was just layout. Right. And I think this is reflective of just our industry maturing as well, because it sounds like back then people were just more concerned about the technology 
and -hmm. just making sure that something worked, quote unquote, whatever what worked means, Mm -hmm. versus considering the fact that like, well, does shrinking this actually make it easier for the site to perform its goals? And does it make it easier for the user to interact with this site? And if the answer is no, then... (laughs) then it wasn't really a successful site, right? A really good exercise, though. I think trying to retrofit something will teach you something faster than anything else. Because you're having to overwrite and understand the relationship of what was there before and what you want it to do. So it's it's time consuming and painful, but (laughs) I definitely think you learn a lot coming out of it. Right. Yeah, I I decided to write about mine. I'm looking at it now. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I wrote this. And that's what I did. But that's what you think, you know, until you know better, until you start building an actual project from the ground up. Right. So speaking of knowing better, what's in the future now? What's happening with front end? Well, for control click cast, I think the good news is that the HTML will likely remain very similar. I wrote wrote it with HTML5 and there are a handful of patterns that I've adjusted from our internal framework that I'll put into place. But for the most part, I've always written very lean, clean HTML, and I'm, I'm pleased because that's going to save me a lot of time. This is not some client former WordPress site with a ton of generated divs and things like that that I'm going to have to wade through. Right. Oh, just a little note. If you do get a, a look at someone's source code and there are like lots of nested divs, make sure that their CSS isn't super dependent on that DOM structure because then you have selectors that are incredibly long because you're having to get, they've done it div inside a div inside a div inside a div, and then it's the H1. So it's an H1 inside three divs. And that just gets incredibly hard to overwrite. The CSS for control click will change dramatically. I was not using SAS at the time, and I will want to because I do feel like that allows me to maintain more easily I like having my CSS broken up into partials and I like the compiling um, that comes from it and the efficiencies of using things like mix-ins. And then, of course, I've just gotten better with my selectors, not to mention browsers have gotten better. I'm not going to worry about IE8. I'm not going to worry about not supporting pseudo selectors and things like that. So I'll be able to use more in my toolbox because, well, it's six years later. And that's really all I expect at the front end. I We don't have much JavaScript on the site, and I don't see that changing. So I don't anticipate much to do with JavaScript at all. In fact, I, I actually think we would get rid of the JavaScript we have on the site. Very cool. Very cool. And then the last part of the control click revamp is just the CMS aspect, because as we said earlier, performance is a big deal. And while I can make sure that our front end is as lean and mean as possible, the EE site behind it is six years old. Right. I mean, we did just upgrade the system to at least the the most recent version of EE2, 2.11. And we have plans on moving it, you know, to EE3 when we finish figuring out like how to replace certain functionality. Mm -hmm. But we'll be reviewing how we actually 
built the templates Mm -hmm. in Expression Engine as well to be a lot more Mm performance-friendly and how we even built it in the first place as well. Because again, six years ago. Oh, I guarantee you I used (laughs) a ton of embeds. I guarantee. I I haven't looked at that in a long time, but I'm pretty sure that that's what we're looking at. Right. Lots of embeds. Right, right. And I probably didn't make my queries as efficient as they could have been. Yep. Yeah, but I mean, I will have to say this just as a random aside, just upgrading Expression Engine to the latest version and upgrading our hosting to PHP 7. Mm -hmm. And we just added SSL to our site. We haven't touched Expression Engine in the layouts and it's fast. It's, It's way faster now. So I know this has nothing to do with responsive retrofits, but PSA, upgrade, upgrade your system. Upgrade your host and upgrade your system. Yeah, well, it's not part of a retrofit, but I do think once you get beyond that, you should be looking at the CMS. Yeah, absolutely. If you're revamping or redesigning from any perspective and you have a CMS, that should also be looked at. This this should not just be a front-end content discussion. Right. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, that speed is a very big factor in mobile friendliness Mm -hmm. as well. So even though it's not the, quote, front-end part of responsive retrofits, trying to make your site fast is a mobile-friendly step. Yep. Wow, we covered a lot. Yeah, and we went a little over longer than I thought. But yeah, yeah, I think we got a lot. Hopefully our listeners will think so. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I'm curious if our listeners have any other tips that they've done throughout their development Mm. career to retrofit. Are there efficiencies that you found? Just message us or tweet at us. And, you know, I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts. Mm -hmm. But before we finish up, We've got our rapid fire 10 questions, and this time Emily is up. (laughs) You ready? Yep. Okay. Introvert or extrovert? Introvert. The power is going to be out for the next week. What food from the fridge do you eat first? Ice cream. But I I eat ice cream first every time there's ice cream (laughs) in the fridge. (laughs) What's your favorite website for fun? Amazon. I like shopping. Yeah, yeah. Online shopping. I find that fun. What's the last thing you read? I read a really interesting article on The Guardian this morning about the uh, Rorschach inkblot test and how it evolved and how it's controversial and how it's used today. Interesting. So what's the best piece of professional advice you've received? Um... You know, I'm not so sure it was professional advice, but it was really the way my boss approached work when I worked at Pitney Bowes. Um... Ian Pitts was on the show many years back, but he was my boss then. And he just really always encouraged me to experiment. It's almost like he adopted that old Google 80-20 approach to work where 80% of your time is working on something that the business needs. And 20% of the time is you sort of experimenting and pushing and seeing if there's, you know, something new you can learn. Right. So that was probably the best thing I learned from someone else. It wasn't advice. It was just a way he approached work and... I learned from that. Cool. What's the worst piece of professional advice you've received? Again, I don't think it's advice, but more what I observed from my parents. They had their jobs and they were jobs and they were Mm. miserable and they paid their bills, but that was what was most important. You had a job, you paid your bills. And that's what I thought for a really long time. And that's how I ended up really, really unhappy. Right. For me, I have freedom without kids 
and less responsibilities, I think, than others. And so it made it easy for me to strike out on my own and try and find happiness in my professional career versus just a job. Okay. So, I mean, that's kind of like find a real vocation for your career. Yeah. Don't just don't. I don't know. I think it's a generational thing, maybe. Right. You know, don't just stay in a job. If you're unhappy, right. leave. Right. You can do it. You're allowed. Right. I never knew I was allowed. So. Right. What's your favorite color? Purple. If you could take us to one restaurant in Albuquerque, where would we go? <laughs> oh, it's so laughable. Um, well, oh, okay. My favorite breakfast place is called The Range. The Range. Okay. What Best do they have there? breakfast. Oh, any kind of back breakfast you can imagine, but they have really good red and green chili, which you can put mm-hmm. on eggs or potatoes or... Jason always gets like um, country fried steak with um, or chicken fried steak with green chili on top. So basically any breakfast food you can imagine, but you can get chili with it. Nice. (laughs) What's your favorite board game? I like Trivia Pursuit, but I particularly like my 25th anniversary entertainment edition. So it's kind of like mostly focused on pop culture. Cool. Finally, Hulu or Netflix? Both and Prime. So I can live without either. All of the above. All of them. I need all. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Be sure to check our show notes for all the resources we mentioned um, throughout the episode. Control Click is produced by Bright Umbrella, a web services agency obsessed with happy clients. Today's podcast would not be possible without the support of this episode's sponsor. Thank you, Craft CMS. We'd also like to thank our partners, Architect and Devotee. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you want to know more about Control Click, make sure you follow us on Twitter at ControlClickCast or visit our website, ControlClickCast.com. And if you like this episode, please give us a review on Stitcher or iTunes or both. And if you really like this episode, consider donating to the show. Links are in our show notes and on our site. Don't forget to tune in to our next episode when Susan Snipes joins the show to chat about developing long-term client relationships. Be sure to check out controlclickcast.com slash schedule for more upcoming topics. This is Leah Alcantara and Emily Lewis signing off for Control ClickCast. See you next time. Cheers.